Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, things are continually getting messier and messier in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to continue to say thanks to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way toward our goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. If you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com slash themessyreformation. You can also support us for free by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the Messy Reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Anthony Seitzma. Another thing we can learn is about church planting. And I know that uh, I've seen some studies or something that maybe you've seen too on social media that the CRC is actually doing better with evangelism than ever before. It's just that we're not having as many children also. But I think one of the things that's really touched me here that the CRC could learn is this emphasis on church planning. One of the things that struck me is that most of the churches here, especially city churches versus like more rural churches, but the city churches, especially they it's kind of like each local church is always in a process of planting another church. Mm. So it's not delegated to professionals. It's not that you call home missions to send a church planter somewhere. It's the church itself who plants another church. In fact, I know of very few cases where it's revolving around any individuals. It's the church saying, okay, we're going to have a mission to this neighborhood or this area. And then um, they actually start a church there and they keep shepherding it and working with it. And once it gets to a certain level, maybe it takes, I don't know, five years or something, then they start planting a church in another area. And so it's like almost every church is in the process of planting another church. And it's the church members themselves doing it as a team. They'll plan a mission, like they either do a crusade or they'll go door to door um, doing different things to reach out to people. And they're just always, every year, multiple times every year, they're they're doing that. They'll they'll announce that they'll the evangelists will get people mobilized. They'll raise money to help pay for some of the expenses for that, and they just go and try. And uh, North America has challenges that make that a little bit harder. I, I'm I'm not uh, equating the two, um, but just that passion and emphasis to try. I wish that more CRC churches said, let's, as a church, we're going to try to plant a church in this other area near us and just work at that for, for years. That would be great to see. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, man, you, that's uh, something I'm really passionate about. 
and uh, and I've been trying to encourage a lot of churches because we almost we also in North America, United States, kind of feel like it's only like the really big churches that are able to support a church plant or anything. And the small churches, kind of the small rural churches, like, well, we just don't have the resources to do that. So we'll leave that to the other people, you know? But what, what resources do you need? That's what I want to know. Like, like, why can't we go and talk to people? You know, I grew up feeling like there was a lot of disdain for like door to door evangelism and other certain methods and yeah, I don't want to be legalistic about a method and, and, you know, offend people and all that kind of stuff. But if we just try, what what do we have to lose? Like, if someone says they don't want to talk to you and you knock on the door, then you go. But mm-hmm. what, what, I don't know. Those are just things to to think more about. Yeah. Well, I, I've said this, you know, uh, most of my ministry, I mean, now I'm in a, a kind of a regular church. Uh, but when I was a youth pastor, we had like zero dollars for our budget. And I remember talking, people saying like, oh, how can you do ministry with zero dollars? And I'm like, well, we've got God's word. That costs nothing. We can talk to people about it. That costs nothing. <laughs> like, we're fine. <laughs> and so like, you don't need these massive budgets to be able to do these things. We have a lot of tools to be able to just start doing ministry in these places. And yeah, I would I would encourage a lot of the, the small local churches to start thinking creatively about how we can be intentional about whether you want to call it a church plant or not, but like you said, like just intentional about reaching different areas in our community. Yeah. Actually that, that leads to my last point of what we can learn um, about, you know, not having a lot of resources, the pastors here. Okay. In the, in the, there's a difference between city pastors and, and rural pastors, but most of the pastors are rural pastors you know, 90% of them, and most of them get about $2 a month for their salary. So they have to completely support themselves with um, farming or business. So they, they're, they're bivocational in that sense. They don't have a lot of time to dedicate to being a pastor because they have to support their, you know, family of eight children. Um, with other work and then get $2 from the church at the end of the month. And at the same time, <laughs> you know, they're, they're subsistence farmers who are struggling already in poverty. Um, but now they're sacrificing their time and energy to pastor, but keep in mind, they also have to give to the church as give their tithes to the church. So an example, they also have to care for the poor. Every time they do a pastoral visit, they're expected to bring, food and gifts to the people that they visit because they're visiting people who are even more desperate than they are sometimes they have to pay for their own transport as they bicycle around or get motorcycle taxis to go around and visit people and do work Um, it's to the point where uh, just to give a vivid example one of the pastors who went to the bible college that we used to teach at he said that when he said he was going to the bible college his family called him a fool and it's almost like they didn't want anything to do with him again because he was just being an idiot for becoming a pastor. Why would you ever become a pastor? You're just asking for a life of poverty. And mm-hmm. uh, even a lot of women will say that their parents don't want them to marry a pastor because then they're just going to a life of poverty. So they they struggle and they sacrifice. And so <laughs> once in a while, I see uh, people talking about salaries in the Christian Forum Church and I'm just <laughs> thinking in comparison. Um, 
yeah, so that's something we can learn from. They are willing to suffer for Christ for the ministry. They're willing to become fools for the gospel. They're willing to toil away, you know, overtime doing multiple jobs in order to pastor and take care of their families. And that's something that we, we can learn from them. Yeah. Amen. I want to shift gears a little bit. I mean, it's not a lot, but, but we've been talking about what the CRC can learn, you know, from the, the church in Uganda um, but, you know, you've mentioned you, you've you grown up in the Christian Reformed Church your whole life, and you're still connected with it, right? You're you're one of our missionaries. Um, what, what are some of the things that you really appreciate about the Christian Reformed Church? Yeah, I have a lot of things. Let me see if I can um, go through them kind of quickly. And if I remember um, what I want to share, um, some of the things are things you've talked about on the podcast before. I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and appreciating our confessions. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that honestly I didn't appreciate as much until I came here. And um, when I realized that the churches here don't usually have that kind of doctrinal statement of, of you know, or they might have it somewhere in a book somewhere, but most of the people in the churches don't know about it. Um, realizing the the confessions we have are, are a beautiful gift to guide the church. And I've shared our confessions with a lot of the Pentecostals that I work with. And I always have to say, well, we have different views on baptism and certain things that I point out to them. Um, but even with those different views, they just love reading them because they find them incredibly helpful to think through our faith uh, as a tool for discipleship. So I've had a lot of people really enjoy those especially the Heidelberg Catechism uh, which is a bit simpler than like the Canons of Dort um, so I've I've appreciated those more since being here um, also our position statements on different issues controversial issues I've always found incredibly helpful um, but again more so since coming here there's a lot of diversity let's say in uh, the church I mostly work here with work with here is the Pentecostal Assemblies of God of Uganda, but we work with a lot of different denominations. But a lot of the pastors have told me we need clear guidance on this issue, or we need clear guidance on this issue. And we don't have it. It's like each pastor has their own view, each church has their own view. And so I've shared those position statements with a lot of people here from different denominations, and they love reading them. And they say, We wish our church had clear guidance on, on issues like this. Um, so they've they've really appreciated those. I also appreciate our clear church polity. Um, that's another thing I've shared with a lot of leaders here because in most cases they don't have um, clear church policies. Um, and again, sometimes the denomination might have it, but it doesn't always get down to the the churches, the actual churches. And um, they've really loved reading our, our policies, not to adopt them, but just to brain, you know, helps them brainstorm what would work in their, in their context. Um, and so that, that's something I've come to appreciate more and more. Um, connected to that, I've appreciated our denominational structure for accountability, you know, council and classes and synod um, for accountability, for making decisions. I know there's a lot of discussions right now with the, the, the HSR and 
how the accountability structures work, but I, I just mean in general, like, um, I remember the importance of church visitors when I was pastoring in Minnesota and how in the CRC there's protection for the local church. If the pastor is abusive somehow, and there's also protection for the pastor if the church is abusing the pastor somehow. There's just that kind of help you can get from the denominational structure. And um, that's not always the case here. There's a lot of independent churches here where it's, it's, uh, it's kind of the it's owned by the pastor mm -hmm. um, or the pastor's family. Um, or even in the denominations, sometimes the, the denominational accountability structures are not real clear. Um, so I've just really come to appreciate that about about the CRC. So I have some more to share, but I, I wanted to sure. make sure if you need to. Yeah. Well, I want to. I want to. <laughs> you used you used one word that I've been talking about a lot lately, and I'd love to just kind of hear your thoughts on it. Uh, the words clarity. I've talked a lot about clarity. And there's been, you know, from those who were unhappy with what happened at this last synod, um, there's been an accusation thrown out that we were worshiping clarity. Um, but one of the things you were talking about that you appreciated about the CRC, and it seems like the, the churches in Uganda have appreciated is some of our clarity. And so um, do For you sure. think, yeah. yeah, so because there there are some people that are that are feeling like well clarity is is too rigid it's too firm we we need to allow things to be more gray and um to move through but but you're saying that you've seen that in Uganda kind of the gray area and the lack of clarity has actually caused caused, uh, caused so many problems yeah people i mean when you don't have clarity <laughs> you can end up with relationship problems who is supposed to do what you know, that can cause a lot of tension. You end up with churches teaching false doctrines. Um, I love the churches that we work with here, but there's tons and tons of false teaching going on. And sometimes that's because there's not clarity. You have you have pastors getting trained at all kinds of different schools, even if they're in the same denomination. So they all end up with different beliefs. You have one, let's say in the Pentecostal church, you have one pastor who is trained at a Baptist school. So he's more Baptist in his views. Another is more Presbyterian. Another is more Pentecostal. It's just, it, there's a lot of, can be a lot of confusion. And uh, you have different churches running their churches differently, you know, with different policies and different kind of structures. You have some churches where, for example, you're an elder because people started calling you elder. Mm. Uh, and you don't really know exactly what your role is or when when it starts and ends um, you have other churches that have deacons other churches that don't have deacons you know it's just there's a lot of confusion so yeah yeah so just that that the, the idea and I, I i probably need to stop beating this dead horse but i just i keep wanting to make the point where like throughout most of the world and I think even in the United States, when we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that clarity is, it's not just important to help things function properly, but clarity is also loving. Um, and yeah. it helps kind of create, it helps prevent some of the damage that gets done. I mean, I, I've talked to people in uh, churches, you know, in North America, in churches that were independent and didn't have some of the, the clarity of structure and, uh, 
and they've struggled because they had a pastor that kind of ran off uh, and they had no structures. They had no clarity on how to, how to bring the pastor under discipline or any of that. So I've had people who are said like, man, CRC church order. That's such a great thing, <laughs> which most yeah. people in the CRC are like, ah, I hate church order. Right. Or, or your clarity on doctrines and stuff like these are beautiful things because they help actually bring unity. And, uh, and now here we are in it and we're like, man, the, you know, we hear people, um, saying, well, we don't need clarity on this. This is causing division. And most, I think the most of the world would say actually some of that clarity helps bring unity. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, one of the things that we need to make sure is that we have flexibility to change. So like with our church polity, for example, it should be very, very crystal clear, but there should be processes to make a change if we all want to make a change, yeah. you know, in, in some, in some church order article. Um, but I think we have those processes in place. We have clear processes for how we deal with doctrines. We have clear processes for how we change uh, church order. So um, that's what I think we need to have to have that balance very clear. Um, but at the same time, what is the process if we need to make a change, but I think we have those good processes. So yeah. I'm, I'm happy with our, with our system. Yeah. I had a, a guy I served with on council for a number of years. His favorite saying was clarity is more important than agreement. <laughs> like mm -hmm. at least if we can be clear on on where we each stand on this we don't have to agree but at least we know then where we're at and how to start moving forward in a helpful way yeah i would i would love to hear anthony um I, i'm gonna kind of move into another portion here but i, I would really love to hear we've kind of talked about synod a little bit um i would really love to hear what how the Ugandan churches kind of responded to what happened at Synod, or do they know a lot of what happened at, at Synod 2022? And if they kind of know what happened there, what was kind of their response? Yeah, let me look at East African churches in general, not just Uganda. Um, sure. I'd say most people are not paying attention to our Synod, but they are paying attention to the North American church as a whole. Mm. Um, as we are changing on views of sexuality. Um, but there are individual people from some of our partner church organizations, partner denominations that are following Synod and actually like watching most of Synod on video or reading all the articles. So there are some that are that are watching it carefully. Um, there, there are some that were quite worried when we were getting up to the this past synod because they were, you know, thinking if if the CRC becomes affirming or allows for affirming churches, we can't partner with the CRC anymore. Um, and some have come out and said that very clearly. Um, it's it's hard when you're struggling for money to say no to money that's being offered. But we have heard of a number of churches of different denominations. Uh, terminating partnerships with North American churches because they've become affirming on on different sexuality issues, and even to the point of you know turning down grants and aid that were coming from those denominations or or churches. Uh, and that was one of the things that I've worried about personally being here is um, whether I could even continue my work here if if the CRC became affirming. I'm not sure I would be able to. Um, so 
when sin had happened, I was very relieved and grateful. I know there's a lot of mess. I have tons of friends um, who have different views than me, and I don't want them to be hurt. I know it's going to be complicated. We have a lot to pray about. We need to be gentle and loving and gracious as we go forward. But I was really grateful for the the decisions that were made regarding um, sexuality. And some of my friends here who have followed what happened at Synod were also very relieved and grateful. like, for example, from the Pentecostal Assemblies of God, Uganda, which is the main partner we work with here, some of the the leaders did follow what happened and are very grateful and relieved at the, the direction that things seem to be going. Of course, we need to keep praying about it, and they're still going to be um, moving with us on it, um, following our journey on it and and praying for us. And let me also say, uh, there are a lot of people who have been praying Uh, a number of times. I, I shared even with uh, groups of pastors, I was teaching what our, what our church is going through and some of the discussions we're having, and they were really um, willing to pray for us, which I was Mm -hmm. grateful for. Yeah. Yeah. And it does seem like, you know, when you start looking beyond the I don't know, that's hard to, but, you know, we, we maybe call it the Western church or the Western world, right? You start moving beyond that, the United States, Canada, Europe. Um, most of the churches out there, um, I don't know how much of a conversation this is. Is there much of a conversation in Africa that you can tell even about trying to move to a more affirming stance? Or are they pretty firmly um, against that? There's definitely talk in the culture at large um but in the church maybe south africa um but most of the countries i would say there's not much openness to it um and they you know there's there's things that i challenge churches on here for example we're not supposed to hate gay people we're supposed Mm -hmm. to love them listen to them uh, welcome them with open arms be patient with them things like that so i'm sort of honestly i'm quite the liberal here on <laughs> uh on sexuality issues um, but quite the i don't know if you want to use the word traditional or conservative when it comes to north america sure. kind of in a weird in a yeah. weird space in the middle um but yeah, so that that's so the conversation here can be pretty negative and not very loving sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, it's kind of that swing either way, right? We gotta, and uh, I know there's this big conversation just culture wide about being a third way person. You know, always thinking the third way is the best way, but but there is something where we we kind of always have this tendency to fall off into one ditch or the other. And uh, it's really the the struggle. You know, I, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking at a at a winter retreat for students, and I was assigned uh, Romans twelve nine, um, which and the second part of it where it says, you know, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, right? And it's kind of that that tension we have to live in, I think, as Christians of hating what's evil, but holding fast to what is good. And maybe it's not necessarily a third way, but we have a tendency to, to hate what is evil and, and then kind of, you know, do evil in the name of hatred of evil. 
And sometimes we can try to hold fast to what's good and then just kind of ignore the evil. And we're supposed to call, we're called to kind of hold those two things in tension. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, so as you're kind of looking in, you kind of mentioned some of this already, but I'd love to kind of dive a little bit deeper in on that. As you're looking in on what's happening in the Christian Reformed Church, you know, you're you're connected to a denominational agency, so you're kind of, you, I, I assume you have a pretty good feel for what's happening in the Christian Reformed Church. Like, what are some of the things that that concern you about uh, what's happening? Yeah, I, you know, when I grew up, I was pretty disconnected from the CRC, um, but you know, from college on, I've been really connected and I, I try to stay really connected to what's going on in the CRC while being here in discussion groups, reading articles and so forth. I, I like knowing what's, what's going on. Um, my biggest concern was the, the sexuality discussions. Uh, but I don't want to talk too much about that. We already mentioned that. And I know that you've had a lot of people talking about that. Um, so maybe let me talk about some other concerns that I have that, um, maybe not quite as important, but still important to me. One would be that I think there's a lack of unity in the CRC in the sense of we don't really know what it is that's uniting us anymore. I think you've had other people mention that before as well, but it's like church members don't really know what it means to be CRC and uh, even pastors. We don't really know what's uniting us. Sometimes it doesn't seem like some, so I don't want to be too harsh, but sometimes it seems like even our confessions are not mm-hmm. uniting us. And I'm not even talking about the, the sexuality issues, but just anyway, yeah, it's, 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 yeah. yeah generally, it's hard to know what, what is it that's bringing us together? Cause we, we know it's not ethnicity. So what is it that uh, is uniting us And it? We need sort of a re envisioning or so, something in that area. Another thing I wanted to talk about is uh, my time at Kelvin College. Mm -hmm. Um, I I, I haven't heard, I haven't listened to all your podcasts, but I haven't heard too many people talk about this. So I I just wanted to to say something about it because it was a hard time for me, even though I really appreciated my education there. Like I really appreciated it, made me strong, but at the same time, I almost lost my faith. there was a number of issues um, that are kind of related, um, but I th- but I think this whole issue of Kelvin College is affecting the whole yeah. denomination. I, I know it's Kelvin University now, but it's college when I went there. Uh, yeah. Um, so first of all, the personal aspect for me, there is a lot of tough facing of tough questions in my, especially my religion classes, philosophy classes. And those are important to be asked, but it was like, I felt like there was a lot of asking of the tough questions without giving many answers. When I went to Calvin Seminary, it was like, we started hearing that there are answers to some of these questions and there are good answers to some of these questions. So it's like Calvin College tore my faith down. Hmm. No one intended, I'm not saying the professors intended to do that, but it, the cumulative effect is tearing down of my faith. So I was doubting everything, especially God's word. Mm. And then when I got to the seminary, it was like my faith was being built back up and it was a breath of fresh air. 
Um, I loved, loved my time at uh, Calvin Seminary. So there's, in the Calvin College, especially religion department, there's just a lot of questioning and facing hard things and working through you know, 1700s, 1800s of all the people um, questioning historicity of scripture, questioning miracles, and, and on and on and on. So that was one issue. Um, another issue is that we had teachers that were directly teaching against our confessions. And that's to me is one of the things that's alienating the college from or the university from our denomination the most. It's supposed mm -hmm. to be our denominational school, and you have teachers openly teaching against our confessions, openly and teaching against our confessions, trying to convince students that what our confessions say is wrong. And they're doing it from a position, I think, of lacking integrity because they signed on that they believe them. So I don't know what that means to them personally that they say that they believe those but uh, you know i have for example um had teachers pushing hard for us to believe in open theism and rejecting our traditional view of god's sovereignty and i remember in one class i was like the only student who was arguing back and saying but what about this scripture passage what about this scripture passage and they're just trying to convince everyone to um to believe that and i just don't understand why that happens and i why are we when when so many people are desperate for teaching jobs it's very hard to get a teaching job especially mm -hmm. as a bible teacher theology teacher very hard why is it that most of the people are from really liberal schools going to the religion department at the university why can't we get some people who graduated from Calvin Seminary or other more traditional schools in there? I don't know all the, the logistics of what's happening there, but I just don't think that's uh, healthy for our denomination. And uh, I was supposed to go there, you know, as my kind of pre-SEM degree, but, uh, you know, read a lot more of a critical things that made me doubt my faith than I read anything from Calvin or Bob Vink or whoever. So um, that's something that I think we need to address. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I would say, you know, uh, just to, just to kind of back up what you said, I was just talking to someone this past week or a couple of weeks ago who, who uh, kind of oversees a young adult ministry and ministers to a lot of students coming out of Calvin University. And they, they said that they're ministering to a lot of these students and the students do feel like their faith is slowly, to use the buzzword now, kind of slowly being deconstructed there. Yeah. Um, that I, there's I, an active attempt to do so. I don't know if it's an active attempt. It might be. I did hear of some teachers specifically trying to make students doubt the historicity of the old testament not even just in the religion department but other departments too mm. so there was that um, but i'll tell you that i graduated with like 20 people or so and in, in my year of the religion major mm -hmm. and one had stopped being a christian and he was calling himself a jew he had rejected christ we had a number of people that had become pluralists we had a number of people that were basically atheists and then, you know, some people that came out very strong, 
but through the fire. <laughs> I only came out strong, I think, because I had a lot of relatives to lean on yeah. who helped me with my with my doubts as I was as I was wrestling through. So yeah. but another thing I wanted to talk about with the uh, with the college um is what they mean by being reformed. Hmm. Um I really seem like to them that being reformed means that we appreciate culture and like that's that's all that reform means i remember my orientation in my first year of kelvin the impression i got from the speakers was that you've grown up listening to christian music christian music is really pretty crappy you should listen to you two instead and um <laughs> just trying to get us to like open up to all the wonderful things in uh, secular culture. Um, I grew up in a public school, and so I was ready to come to a Christian school and um, really dive into um, chapel and other things. But it was just like, let's drink deep of the culture. Mm. I had to see movies for certain classes that were just full of nudity and debauchery. And I was like, why do I have to watch this as part of my education and and the kinds of things that were being promoted and that the students took in is like being reformed means we can watch whatever we want we can listen to whatever music we want to listen to we can read whatever books we want to read because we can discern that was the key word we can discern some nugget of truth and so it's like as long as we discern some nugget of truth in it we can take in whatever we want and so i, I think it's this too much optimism about the human soul that somehow we're not going to be affected by these things. I do believe that common grace is real. Like there are wonderful things in God's creation. We can learn from non-Christians there. You, I, I watch movies. I listen to music, but just this idea that nothing's going to affect us. Nothing mm -hmm. is bad for our discipleship. Nothing's to be rejected. Um, even I think this gets into some of our traits in the CRC too of like being proud that we think it's okay to drink alcohol, mm. uh, being proud even of professors and other people smoking cigars and other things. Like I'm I'm not, I I'm not in agreement with my Ugandan friends who say that it's a sin to drink alcohol. I disagree with that, but I just I don't like this attitude that we have in the CRC that's is kind of pride that we can take in all these things and they're not going to hurt us mm. or affect us. If, if my Ugandan Christian friends knew about our drinking habits and the kind of stuff that we watch uh, in the CRC and, and North America, they would be appalled and they would probably question whether we're truly saved. Um, mm. it, I just, we need to think more about our discipleship and just because there might be a nugget of truth in something doesn't mean it's good for us overall. Like yeah. why would we watch a movie that has, you know, 1% truth in it instead of spending time watching a movie or reading a book. That's like 80% truth. You know what I'm mm -hmm. trying to say? Like why, yeah. why can't we just fill our minds with what's pure and true and not try to discern the nugget out of movies that are filled with debauchery. Yeah. So that was and a hard they, thing for me when I was there too. Yeah, and really one of the things that I've I've just wondered 
is uh, because I've I've encountered a lot of people who do that and they find a lot of joy in trying to connect even like connect even like really kind of I don't know bad movies or books or whatever and you know the the ones that the Christians are saying like you shouldn't be reading this as people find a particular joy in trying to connect that book somehow to the Christian faith and say like oh see look there's truth here and it's like yeah but you know, I've used this illustration over the years, you know, I've I've gone to schools and stuff where they've taught a lot of things that I disagree with. And so I've had to learn how to, like, chew up information and spit out the bones, you know. And so I've said, like, that's a good habit to have. And yet there's sometimes there's some books and some movies that it's all bone pretty much. And there's so little nourishment in there. It's not worth yeah, chewing up. Exactly. <laughs> and so one of the things, really uh, one of the things I would add to that is let's err on the side of caution Mm. like if we're to try to be holy and try to grow in christ and we're not sure whether something's good for us or not why not just do without it and i i've seen a lot of attitude in myself even and among friends that we try to make the argument that it's okay because we don't want to go without being entertained by Mm. something whether it's a a movie that we really want to see or a show uh, or a drinking habit or whatever, we, instead of erring on the side of caution, we'll really argue hard for why it's okay. Cause we're maybe we're so worried about being legalistic. Uh, just to give you an example, I, I uh, shared with people on social media that I wasn't going to do anything more with the Enneagram because the Enneagram has gone big, you know, it's everyone's mm-hmm. favorite personality thing. And I, I learned about the historical roots of it. And it's like, well, I don't know if it's really that serious or not. But I was like, you know, uh, if the historical roots are potentially uh, coming from bad sources, I could try to argue that it's still okay to use, but why Why do I need to bother? Why don't yeah. I just err on the side of caution and, and not use the Enneagram anymore? And it's like, most of my friends were I don't know if they're upset with me, but people are really arguing hard why it's so good to use. And it's like, if we're not sure, are we really going to suffer from doing without it? Or if there's a a TV show that we're not really sure whether it's good for us to watch or not, why not just say we can do without? (laughs) That's what what I've been trying to do lately myself, and I'm not doing perfect, but trying to follow that, that kind of rule. Yeah, well, and I think it comes down to, you know, I've had this conversation a lot recently, really, is, uh, you know, I think so many people um, worry that our biggest, our biggest issue, our biggest concern in the United States right now is legalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they don't worry of the flip concern of that, which is antinomianism, right? Or like just not caring about God's law, just kind of, or or like Paul would say, license, you know? Um, like that, I think, you know, are we in a position where we're, we're in a similar context as what James is writing about, or are we in a similar condition where, you know, where people are just burdened by the law and, and trying to earn their salvation. Right. And, and, uh, and we just try to assume that like every context is one or the other always. And, uh, and so a lot of people, like when I'm in Christian reform circles, a lot of people are really, really concerned that we would ever lead anyone into legalism. And so they would rather err on antinomianism. And I yeah. think, well, that's a, um, that's a just as bad of a concern as well. If you never talk about the law, 
Um, then people don't know about their sin and they don't know about how God's called them to live and all of that. And so um, I, I think we're misreading culture to some degree too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, we're kind of coming down to the end of our interview here. And, and I always like to ask everyone, you know, as you're kind of looking at the Christian Reformed Church and and even, you know, you're looking at the Christian Reformed Church with a different perspective and a different point of view than most of the people that we've interviewed. Um, what do you think needs to happen in the Christian Reformed Church in order for us to see uh, Reformation begin to happen here? Yeah, I, I think about think about about four things um i'd say first we need a revival but what what i mean specifically by revival is a falling in love with the gospel again Mm -hmm. um just a basic gospel and thinking of what christ has done for us thinking of our forgiveness of sins the kingdom of god um and i'd say connected part of that then as as we fall in love with the gospel we will be people who go out and share the gospel with others and get back into more church planting um so yeah falling in love with the gospel and is is number one um prayer uh, i talked about what we can learn about prayer from ugandans i'd love for us to be people of prayer but it, i think we're starting to see that happening mm-hmm. i've seen a lot of prayer initiatives going on i've appreciated the abide Prayer times, for example, I, I can't always make it, but those have mm-hmm. those have been good. Um, submission to God's word is a big one. I feel like we have a, a tendency, whether um, progressive or conservative, I think all of us kind of have this tendency to stand over God's word rather than submitting to it, especially in the CRC, because we have good academics and good Bible training, um, and we just we need to be submitting to it, letting it challenge us in every area of our lives, even the um, even the hard parts. Mm-hmm. And connected to that, there's just a there's a lot of sermons in the CRC. In my experience, I've traveled around to a lot of different CRC churches around. U.S. and maybe Canada too. Um, there's a lot of fluffy sermons mm. that are like pontifications and speeches, trying to speak flowery. Um, and we need to get back to practical application of God's word. We talked about that earlier in our in our conversation, but we don't need to come up with flowery speeches. What we need is looking at God's word, submitting to it, and figuring out how to do what it says. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think there's a lot of flowery sermons and talking about interesting things that we see in the passage and interesting books that we're reading and stuff like that. But what what does God's word say? Don't be afraid to have a basic sermon that just expounds the passage and helps us to apply it. And then number four, we talked about already too, is church discipline done in love, but but we need to do it. And that will that will also help us a lot. Yeah, amen. That's uh and yeah, amen. I wanna I wanna give you an opportunity just to kind of give some final words. You know, I, I always remind our 
our guests. We've we've got pastors listening. We've got church leaders listening, and and uh, lay leaders listening to this podcast. What kind of final words do you want to leave with them as we wrap up? Yeah, thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity, and I. I We've talked a lot about the CRC, but maybe let me end with talking about African churches because mm. um, that's one of the things that's always on my heart is that I want to connect North American churches to African churches. There's so much that we can learn from them if we listen. They have a lot to learn from us also, but we have a lot to learn from each other. And, you know, <laughs> Listening to them means that we can't just use them as a token for supporting whatever position we want to support. And I see this happening on different sides in the CRC. We have some that uh, use African Christians or churches as a token, for example, in climate change, climate care. Um, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't listen to them, but they should. But if that's the only thing you're listening to them about, then you're just using them to support your position. Mm -hmm. If we as conservatives, uh, you and I, um, are only listening to them on the area of sexuality because we think they're going to make our arguments stronger, then we're also just using them as a token. I'm not saying we shouldn't listen to them on that, just like we should listen to them on, on climate change. But we shouldn't just use them as a token to support whatever argument we're having. We should actually listen and learn from them. We're not going to always agree with them on everything that they say, um, but we can listen and see what they have to teach us, see how they might challenge us. And just practically, what does that look like? Well, um, how many books are we reading from African authors? I know a lot of people don't read much, but if you're listening and you're a good reader, can you read one book a year by an African author, um, or less than that, even if you don't read much, but can we, can we do that once in a while? Can we listen to sermons by African preachers? Uh, if you reach out to me later, I can give you some suggestions. Can we befriend African pastors that are working in North America? There are a lot of African pastors who are now pastoring in North America, and it's good to connect with them, talk with them, learn from them, learn what their devotional habits are. You'll be surprised. You'll be challenged mm. and, um, you know, find out uh, what do they think about, uh, about miracles? What do they think about how they've seen God at work? Well, how do they do evangelism? There's so much we can learn from each other. So make friends with them and, and talk to them. And uh, we will all help each other to grow in Christ if we do so. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week to hear some more reflections from Willie and I about what's going on in the Christian Reformed Church. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy Reformation. Reformation.